Welcome to 660amtheanswer.com and the Wells Report podcast page. Brought to you by, well, this introduction and, of course, the very hard work of executive producer Vicki Steifer. Hope you enjoy the shows. Thanks very much again for checking them out here on 660amtheanswer.com. Is anybody out there paying attention to what's going on in this country, in this state, and in this city? We know one man who is. You got questions? He's got answers. This is The Wells Report with John David Wells. On 660 AM, The Answer. You are listening to The Wells Report. My name is John David Wells. Our telephone number is 866-660-5759. I don't know whether you're aware of this, but law enforcement officer fatalities have increased in the United States 30% during the first half of 2017. It's absolutely ridiculous. There's something we have to do. We are being joined by Craig Floyd, who's the president and CEO of the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund. Got to find a way to take care of this, Craig. Welcome to the Wells Report. It's really good to have you here. Thank you, J.D. It's a pleasure. We come together at a very, very difficult time for police officers all over the country. As a matter of fact, it's a deadly time. We have never seen, as far as I know, we've never seen anything like this with the numbers of police officers being, okay, outright assassinated, going up almost every year for the last two or three years. Well, it's frightening. It's alarming. Any law-abiding citizen should be outraged, really, that uh, our officers are being assassinated simply because of the job they do, the uh, uniform they wear. Uh, Dallas, uh, we certainly saw it in such vivid uh, fashion last uh, July when five officers gunned down by a man who simply had a hatred toward law enforcement. And then here we are a year later, and and virtually to the day, an officer in New York City, um, Miyasotis, uh, familia is sitting in a Mark Cruiser, a Mark Command vehicle, and a man who, again, had a hatred toward law enforcement. It's been well documented on social media. Walks up to her vehicle, fires a single shot, and kills this, this beautiful lady who was trying to protect and serve her community. Uh, frightening, alarming. Uh, this year, 65 officers killed in the line of duty during the first half of this year. And uh, unfortunately, Texas is near the top of the list once again. What does the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund make of this? I mean, what do you find is the cause? Well, uh, unfortunately, there's no one uh, single factor you could point your finger at. Uh, Obviously, so much of the negativity that's been directed toward law enforcement these last couple, three years, all the protests and and, uh, the the hatred that's been spewed toward law enforcement, that has influenced some weak-minded individuals to go out and launch these vicious attacks against officers. You can't deny it. The evidence is very clear on that point. However, if you look at the numbers during the first half of this year, you find that traffic-related incidents have actually claimed more police lives than gunfire. It's pretty close. 26 officers killed in traffic-related incidents the first six months of this year versus 23 who were shot to death. Uh, But the bottom line is when you're a police officer in America, uh, you are always at risk. Your head is on a swivel because you don't know where that next attack may come from. Uh, But you also got to be very careful as you're driving at a high rate of speed 
responding to an emergency call. Somebody needs your help. It could be life or death. Uh, too many officers are not thinking about their own welfare. They're thinking about the welfare of the person they're trying to help and save. And unfortunately, a lot of officers die uh, in those circumstances. I've been watching the media coverage of all of these things, and I've got a I've got an example here that I'd like your commentary on. I have the Gallup poll that talks about confidence in the police back at historic average. I don't know whether you saw that or not, but it says on the headline from Gallup directly, confidence in police back at historic average, which is something that you're saying, well, okay, so this is pretty much where police have stood in the community for X number of years because it's the historic average. But then you go to the hotair.com coverage of that very poll and the headline changes confidence in police drops below 50 percent among young hispanics and democrats below 40 percent among liberals that is a, a differentiation in the data that comes up with a completely different set of of meanings when you just look at the headlines well, I, I remember the Gallup poll, and I'm not sure if you're referring to the same one. There was one done last uh, late summer, early fall of 2016, and I was quite encouraged by what I saw in that poll. And that said that 76% of all Americans surveyed highly respected, highly respected the men and women serving them in law enforcement in their communities. Uh, and I think that just uh, drove home a point that I've been saying for years, which is the vast majority of Americans Despite what you hear in the media, uh, despite all the protests that, that may have occurred over the last year or two, the vast majority of Americans are law-abiding citizens that realize how important the police are in keeping their community safe and making them better places to live. Um, and, and I think that's been there for a long time. And I think as more and more officers are being targeted in acts of violence, are being assassinated because of the uniform they wear and what they stand for. They stand for all the good things in our society. They stand for authority. They stand for the rule of law. And unfortunately, there's been this growing disrespect for the rule of law among some in our society to the point where when you get pulled over by a police officer, there's not this sense of respect, this sense of compliance with the uh, orders, commands, uh, requests that the officer makes, that people are actually confronting officers in those situations. And when that happens, bad things uh, usually end up happening. And uh, this is where we have a real problem. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. We're speaking with Craig Floyd, the president and chief executive officer of the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund. That's a nonprofit organization established in 1984 to honor the service and sacrifice of America's law enforcement officers. So what does your organization actually do when it comes down to your mission statement? Well, a couple things that, that we've done over the years. First and foremost, that the reason we were in existence back in 1984, we built a National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial, a national monument here in our nation's capital, sit, sitting among the Washington Monument, Lincoln Memorial, uh, you name it, uh, where we're right here among those great memorials. 
And we honor the men and women in law enforcement. And we try to make the point through that symbolic tribute uh, that's uh, not given to just anybody. This is a very special tribute that very few groups of Americans ever receive. Uh, But these men and women, 21,183 law enforcement officers have sacrificed their lives in law enforcement service throughout our nation's history. Uh, And we, we, the founders of this organization back in 1984, felt that law enforcement was not being understood, was not being appreciated, the service nor the sacrifice. And a national memorial that we built would make a difference. And it has. It's driven home the point every year when we dedicate hundreds of new names on that memorial. This year, it was 394 new names we added to the memorial in May. 143 of those officers died last year. That mere act alone and all the attention that it gets through the ceremonies, through the media attention, people in this uh, country of ours are made aware of the fact that officers are out there every day serving and sacrificing for our safety. Uh, Now, you you flip the page and you realize we we can't uh, just put names on a memorial wall and expect the American people to have a great understanding and a change uh, of attitude toward law enforcement. So we decided we need to build a national museum for law enforcement. So we're building the National Law Enforcement Museum right across the street from our memorial, which has been there since 1991. And that museum will open next year. That's experiential in nature. You're going to experience what it's like to walk in the shoes of a police officer. You're going to make those split-second decisions in our use of force firearms judgment simulator. You're going to become the detective in the Take the Case Forensic Science Lab. You're going to become the dispatcher in the 911 Emergency Call Center. And when people leave that museum, they're going to have a much better understanding and appreciation for the vital role that law enforcement plays in our society. And we're going to bring in thought leaders from the community, community activists, meeting with law enforcement leaders, and we're going to have conversations. We're going to have roundtable discussions, lecture series, and we're going to have conversations about what we can do to strengthen the bond between the public and police. And right now, we need that museum more than ever. I think you're exactly right. How can people become contributors to the museum? How can they actually have a piece of this particular project? Well, we'd like them to go to our website. It's lawenforcementmuseum.org. Very easy to find, lawenforcementmuseum.org. You'll see photographs of the construction underway. It's been underway now for over a year. Uh, We will open this museum in the fall of 2018, just next year. Um, And uh, we need help. Uh, We need the support of caring Americans, people that believe that a museum like this will make a difference, will change the conversation, will have a positive impact on creating safer, better communities. And by the way, it's going to be an exciting and entertaining attraction here in Washington, D.C., a place that every tourist, I think, will want to go. Uh, The kids will love it. And I'll tell you one thing, J.D., this will be, I think, the number one recruiting tool for the law enforcement profession, because when kids and young uh, adults get to see what it's like to be a law enforcement officer, the excitement, the fact that you can make a difference in society, make a difference in your community, I think they're going to love the idea of maybe becoming a cop. And uh, we need more of that because right now recruitment is down about half of what it normally is. You know something? I think that we need to broadcast live from the opening of this museum. That's what I think. I think I'm going to start packing my stuff now. And I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring my little uh, portable radio station to the front door of your museum and broadcast live when you open that thing up. So you got to make sure you let me know when that happens. 
Uh, we will do that, and you will have a front seat location, I promise you, because we need, you know, there's going to be thousands of people there when we open that museum, and, and thousands more will visit. But we need to reach the entire country with the message that that museum has behind it, and uh, we, we rely on people like UJD to get that message out for us. Craig W. Floyd is our guest. Craig, I tell you, if you uh, talk to the talk show hosts and do a radio row, we'll all show up, I promise you, because this is this is just flat important. You know, you got my attention at the beginning of this conversation. Georgia and New York lead all states with five officer fatalities so far. That is followed by California, Florida, and yeah, Texas. We're right there with four officer fatalities. Louisiana has three and so on and so on. Again, we find ourselves in a position where our police officers are under attack and we simply we simply can't stand by and do nothing. I, I respect that uh, immensely. And, and when you look at Texas, uh, last year, your state lost 19 officers in the line of duty, more by far than any other state. When you look at history, uh, you find that going back to the first death in Texas all the way up to the present, you've lost more than 1,700 law enforcement officers who've sacrificed their lives in law enforcement service in your state. That's by far the most of any state in this country, unfortunately. Craig, I do my business like everybody else. I pass police officers who are doing their jobs, you know, enforcing the law, pulling somebody over and so on and so forth. We hear about these attacks under traffic situations. When I'm driving through town and I happen to see a police officer parked there, I keep my eyes on them until I can't watch them any longer. But clearly there is a powerlessness here that I don't know what to do about. I would say this, J.D., uh, and I I hear you, uh, and yet I think there are some ways people can help, and they may not even realize it. First of all, we need to change the narrative, all right? Uh, And groups like us help uh, in that regard. I'll give you some great stats that uh, people like you, if you could just keep amplifying them, keep getting them out there. Uh, Out of the 62 million interactions that officers have every year across this country with the public, that could be a traffic stop, that could be a call for service, an emergency situation, any interaction with officers and the public. Force is used of those 62 million interactions less than 2% of the time. Most officers will go their entire career without ever firing their weapon in the line of duty. That's a fact, and most people probably wouldn't uh, necessarily know that fact. Uh, We also know that the Cato Institute, for example, does a study every year. How many complaints of misconduct are filed against officers every year in this country? That number, according to Cato Institute, is roughly between 5,000 and 6,000. Now, that's a lot of complaints, most people would say. But when you overlay that number against the 900,000 officers who are sworn and serve every day, you realize that more than 99% of the officers serving today do not have complaints of misconduct filed against them. And I guarantee you there's not a better profession in America that that could probably uh, have that kind of uh, great record. Here, here. Um, Absolutely, absolutely. Craig W. Floyd is our guest. He is joining us here on 660 AM The Answer. He's the president and chief executive officer of the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund. There is a way that you can help that organization and see their work in Washington, D.C. We'll go back over that as we continue with Craig W. Floyd in just a moment. You're listening to The Wells Report. This is 660 AM The Answer. If it's important to you, it's on The Wells Report with John David Wells on 660 AM The Answer. 
This is the Wells Report. You're listening to 660 AM, The Answer. I'm John David Wells. Craig W. Floyd is our guest. He is the president and chief executive officer of the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund. He brought us some amazing statistics, many of them disturbing, some of them hopeful. But still, at the end of the day, we have far too many police officers being attacked, being shot, and unfortunately, being run over. Uh, you you touched on something that I want to get some more information on. When you talk about traffic-related incidents, you're talking about police officers getting hit by uh, people driving by. This is a very dangerous situation, J.D., that most uh, members of the driving public can't appreciate. I don't know how many uh, of your listeners have ever had a traffic problem, uh, a car problem on on an interstate highway. I've had that happen to me once or twice, and I had to get out of my vehicle uh, along that beltway or along that interstate, and boy, I I just sensed fear immediately because there were cars going by within a couple of feet at like 80 miles an hour. And I'm thinking, you know, my goodness, this this is the worst place imaginable. And yet cops every day, every night have to deal with traffic stops. They have to deal with accident scenes. They have to be at construction sites. Uh, And, yeah, they have their flashing lights on and all. But you know what? Too many people are driving distracted. They're on their cell phones. They're texting. It's crazy. Uh, And then impaired drivers, of course, we all know the problems that that has caused, you know, whether you're drunk or on drugs. Uh, Now officers have to worry about that. Uh, And then there's plenty of us that just aren't paying attention or we're driving recklessly. Uh, Those officers need that added margin of safety. And so every state in this country over the last few years, including Texas, have passed laws that say move over and slow down if you see an emergency vehicle on the side of the roadway. Um, You've got to slow down. That's the law of the land. And and they could easily write you up for that. But if you can, move over a lane. Give that officer an added margin of safety uh, because they only have a couple of feet to begin with. If you can give them that extra lane, uh, you're going to spare some lives. Last year, 15 officers were struck and killed uh, on the side of roadways. That's 15 lives that were lost because uh, we, the driving public, were not paying attention and we're not caring about their safety. So move over and slow down. It's an important law. Too many people are unaware of it. But common sense, whether it's the law or not, whether you know about it or not, common sense says when you see a police officer on the side of a roadway, slow down and move over. Give that officer a margin of safety. Boy, that's something that's, uh, you know, it seems so simple. It seems so common sense-ish. But, yeah, I know for a fact, I've seen people in Texas, it's, it's actually the law in Texas that you have to give them at least one lane. I have seen guys, you know, pass way too close, and it's it's very very scary. And I certainly do understand about the uh, pull over and try to change your tire with a guy zipping past you at eighty. That is a very serious thing. I didn't realize so many police officers were injured and 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 killed under those circumstances. Well, and it's been, unfortunately, the case. Fifteen of the last 20 years, more officers have been killed in traffic-related incidents than have been killed by gunfire. Uh, and last year, that changed. Uh, we went back to the historical average, which says more than half of the officers killed in the line of duty are shot to death. But uh, traffic safety is a big concern for officers. we got to do better. we got to give them better driver training. The officers themselves have to slow down when they respond to an emergency call. Think about getting home to your 
family at the end of your shift before you worry about how fast you're going to get to that person in need. Uh, you, you can accomplish both, and uh, that's what we want our officers to do. Craig Floyd, it's been a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Thank you so much for spending some time, and more importantly, thanks very much for your work as the President and Chief Executive Officer of the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund. I'm truly looking forward to the opening of your museum. Thank you very much for putting up the monument to begin with, and God bless you and your very important endeavor, and like I said, if there is ever anything we can do on the Wells Report to help you out, all you got to do is pick up the phone and we'll be there. I'll be back with you. I want you at dedication and, and go to lawenforcementmuseum.org and learn more about this great museum that's about to open. You're listening to the Wells Report. This is 660 AM The Answer. Back with more in just a moment. The Wells Report. A daily good old-fashioned North Texas barbecue. Of anybody trying to take advantage of us on 660 AM The Answer. You are listening to the Wells Report. John David Wells at your service. 866-660-5759. Leftist politics makes for really bad public policy. And bad public policy leads to bad behavior. And bad behavior can lead to... Nothing short of danger, physical danger that involves, in some cases, death, in some cases, maiming. In Massachusetts, medical marijuana users are now a protected class after the state's highest court declared that workers dismissed for positive drug tests can launch anti-discrimination lawsuits against their former employers. The Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court unanimously ruled that workers who have been fired from their jobs because of failed drug tests may seek a remedy through claims of handicap discrimination, though it stopped short of holding that such firings qualify as wrongful termination. The court ruled that granting exemptions to drug testing for medical marijuana patients represented a reasonable accommodation for employers to make. The use and possession of medically prescribed marijuana by a qualifying patient is as lawful as the use and possession of any other prescribed medication. This according to Chief Justice Ralph Gantz in the ruling. The company's policy prohibiting use of marijuana is applied against a handicapped employee who is being treated with marijuana by a licensed physician for her medical condition. The termination of the employee for violating that policy, effectively denies a handicapped employee the opportunity of a reasonable accommodation and therefore is appropriately recognized as handicap discrimination. Massachusetts voters succumbed to the stupidity of the medical medical marijuana lobby in 2012. Christina Barbudo was offered an entry-level direct marketing position with Advantage Sales and Marketing LLC in 2014. 
Barbudo informed her new employer she was prescribed medical marijuana to help treat irritable bowel syndrome and Crohn's disease, a chronic condition that inflames her digestive tract. Although a supervisor attempted to reassure her her prescription would not be a problem, she was terminated after completing her first day of work due to the failing to failing the company's mandatory drug test. We follow federal law, not state law, the company's HR representative said. Advantage Sales and Marketing, which is the 10th largest marketing firm in the country, argued that it was unreasonable, it was an unreasonable accommodation, because such a claim would force it to adopt separate policies for its offices across the country. The court dismissed that notion and said that federal law should trump policies or the notion that federal law should trump policies approved by Massachusetts voters. See, this is so stupid. To declare an accommodation for medical marijuana to be per se unreasonable out of respect for federal law would not be respectful of the recognition of Massachusetts voters shared by the legislatures or voters in the vast majority of states. That marijuana has an accepted medical use for some patients from debilitating medical conditions, the court ruled. So, you go to work, you are prescribed medical marijuana. Why you are prescribed medical marijuana, I have no idea, because until the FDA says that medical marijuana is indeed a safe and effective medication for specific diseases and ailments, there's nothing medical about it. There is nothing medical about using marijuana, say, for example, for Crohn's disease. Irritable bowel syndrome. There is no study that says that it's safe and effective treatment. Nobody has ever done any double-blind testing to make sure that it's not just a pothead going to work stoned. There is no infrastructure in place to determine the difference between someone who's too stoned to work and someone who isn't too stoned to work and whether or not the residual effects of marijuana in your system, even if you're not smoking right now, are sufficient to create a liability for an employer. There's none of that in place. Nobody knows. Nobody has any clue how much marijuana is effective, how much marijuana is not effective, or whether medical marijuana works at all. I remember John Rompre. 
Gary Romperay was his brother. John was John was a great guy, man. He was funny. He was confident. He was he was a good guy. He ended up dying way too soon. His father also passed away. But Gary Romperay was a friend of mine. And Gary loved his marijuana. He loved his pot. Truly enjoyed it. His father suffered from COPD. Gary was absolutely sure that that medical marijuana would help his dad. His dad refused. His dad said that it was illegal, and Gary said, well, what difference does it make? And Mr. Rompere said, makes all the difference in the world. It's illegal. There's a reason for it to be illegal. As far as I know, Gary's still smoking. Mr. Rompere died. I worked for him briefly in his garage. I was a mechanic for a while. And and he was always a very good man. He was always a good man to me and a very good man to his sons. It was a sad day when he passed on. I don't know that smoking marijuana would have helped his COPD. I doubt it very sincerely. In point of fact, I suspect it would have made it worse. But I don't, I am not averse to government studies of marijuana and the use of marijuana for any number of ailments. I mean, if there's a reason that if if medical marijuana has an effect on people having seizures, for example, that should be tested. If medical marijuana can ease someone's pain, chronic pain, that should be tested. But to be perfectly honest with you, I'm relatively sure that most people who are users and purveyors of medical marijuana don't really have any research backing up any of their claims. Any of their claims. And that being said, why would you say that marijuana was safe and effective as a treatment when it wasn't? Again, this is a case of politics trumping reality for the sake of politics. Now, I got to be honest with you. I'm reasonably sure that Advantage Sales and Marketing probably is a, you know, a phone bank. And I'm pretty sure that the girl who brought her medical marijuana to work, Christina Barbudo. I'm reasonably sure that she may have slurred a few words. 
And if your profession is to speak on the phone, that's really a bad way to represent your company. And I also got to say something else here. You know, as someone who has badly abused his chassis, <laughs> I have broken my neck twice. I have I have ripped my right shoulder to pieces twice. I have had both my neck and my shoulder operated on. I played baseball with a torn rotator cuff playing shortstop third base for years. And hustling a baseball across a diamond when you have a when you have a blown rotator cuff, it's very much like someone taking the broken end of a Coke bottle and stabbing it into your shoulder when you throw the ball every time. You know, it didn't hinder my throwing motion. It hindered my pitching motion, but not my throwing motion. I know that seems kind of strange. I mean, pitching, the what your, what your arm and shoulders do when you pitch is different than when you're playing infield. It's a different throw. <clears throat> and while I could, it hurt a lot. You know, I would... I would finish up an inning and I would go into the I would go into the dugout and you know I would pop a couple of Advil and an, and then leave. <laughs> I mean I ate that stuff like Tic Tacs because it worked. But I didn't huff on a I didn't huff a fatty because it I figured that it would stop my pain because you know what. It doesn't stop your pain. You just don't care about it as much. And I don't think that that's a medically effective, therapeutic use of a compound. Just because you are too obliterated from a typical consciousness standpoint to realize, hey, you're really hurting. I just don't think that's the way you should do it. You know? I just don't. Eight six 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 zero five seven five nine eight six 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 zero five seven five nine. Medical marijuana is a hoax. At least it is until the FDA tests it to make sure that it's not. And to write some rules about its use and side effects, and so on. I mean, that is the same thing to do, right? This is the Wells Report. If it's important to you, it's on the Wells Report on 660 AM, The Answer. You are listening to the Wells Report. My name is John David Wells. Her name is Janine from Gainesville. Janine, hi. Hey, John David. How are you? Good. Good. So my question would be, and, and I guess how the uh, attorneys could kind of bring this up in regards to their appeal would be marijuana is neither a diagnosis and typically for a medical handicap or any type of handicap, whether or not it be medical or psychological, um, it has to be a diagnosis from a doctor 
that interferes with your daily living activities. Marijuana does not do that. It's a quote-unquote using, being used as a medication, but a medication of its own is not a diagnosis, nor is it a disability. Unless you're abusing it, because now, of course, I think it's Medicare that, that allows um, uh, people not to work if they're drug addicts. Well, you know, the way it works out, and I'm sure we're going to see this soon, that at some point what's going to end up happening is is that people who are who are having pain or something and use medical marijuana, then get hooked on marijuana, will be prescribed cocaine to be able to get off the medical marijuana, then heroin to get off the cocaine, and so on and so forth. And then they will be prescribed death to get off the heroin. I'm sure that that's the way it's going to be. The executive producer of The Wells Report is Vicki Stiper. Technical director, conductor of The Wells Report Orchestra is Magic Matt Swinney. My name is John David Wells. God bless you and yours. Thanks very much for listening to this edition of The Wells Report. We'll see you again tomorrow night.